This is the Andres Segovia Show. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Andres Segovia Show. I am your host, Andres Segovia. Today, I have a guest on to talk about a role that uh, look is. It affects me directly, but a lot of times we often overlook it. And that's with respect, in this case, Los Angeles, the County Board of Supervisors. And on my show today is a candidate for one of the districts of the County Board of Supervisors. John, John, by all means, introduce yourself to the audience who may or may not know you. Oh, thank you so much, Andres. So my name is John Crookshank, and I'm a candidate for Los Angeles County Supervisor District 4. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm currently uh, an elected official in the city of Rancho Palos Verdes, where I'm mayor pro tem. I've been on the city council there since 2017. I also am a licensed civil engineer. I've run my own engineering company since 1996 here in Los Angeles County and uh, have a small family. Uh, my wife, Jennifer, and I have been married. This year was 30-year anniversary. And we have one son. His name is Sean, and he recently graduated from Arizona State University. Um, but I'm a third-generation Los Angeles County resident and care very mm -hmm. deeply about where I live. Yeah, and God knows that uh, L.A. needs people that care about it right now more than any other time. Uh, we're going to touch on some of the issues here, but just to get to know more about your, uh, your background here, because uh, civil and structural engineering – um, we actually have a state law, this this actually came up, where we have to do, um, for anybody that has like a, a balcony or an exposed stairwell right. for like six six feet and above, they need some, some kind of structural engineering report. Uh, I'm assuming your company is going to be busy doing some of these reports. They have been? Yeah, no. There, so that's the Senate Bill 326 work that you refer to. And um, as the infrastructure they have in this case, it's our buildings and our balconies. They age, they uh, get termite damage, and um, then they become to the point where they structurally cannot support the weight of people on the balcony. So mm -hmm. unfortunately, we do have uh, incidents where they do collapse. Uh, so this particular bill, which my company, JMC Squared, does uh, handle those uh, inspections and the engineering work for, uh, but basically we're going out to anyone that has, like you said, six feet or above balconies and testing them, reviewing them and making sure that they're safe and, and giving uh, clearance reports on those in compliance with that Senate Bill 326. Yeah. And I think that there was a timeline that was extended because I believe the original due date was the end of this year, uh, but they added a year, if I'm not mistaken on that. It's probably good that they did um, because uh, we we have found that uh, many uh, building owners have uh, not yet complied with that. Mm -hmm. And I think my, my concern would be that we only have so many engineers in this state and we only have so many contractors in this state. And so if all the apartment owners and condominium owners and people that have these balconies that need to be inspected wait till the last minute, they're going to find themselves with very few of us to be able to address their needs quickly. So my recommendation would be that if you are in a situation where you do need to comply with that current law, that you should get something done sooner rather than later, because if you wait till the very end with everyone else, you're going to end up with a lot higher prices. You might not find people to be able to do the work. And then if you're out of compliance, even given that additional year uh, to comply, I think the state ends up 
having fines and other implications to that. So I would highly recommend that uh, anyone that has this situation contact uh, their local engineering company and make sure that uh, they get that taken care of. Yeah. And you know what? There's, none of this was on my notes. It just so happens that when we were, we, we met at the um, the multi-million dollar uh, trade show and landlord conference in Long Beach um, uh, held by the Apartment Owners Association. And I, I noticed there were a lot of uh, stru- uh, structural engineers on the trade floor. And I'm like, that sounds familiar. And as a property manager myself, but I don't have any of them that are beyond uh, a story. It didn't affect me directly. I'm like, hold on, what's what's this about? And it's now that it's on the back of my head and you brought something up, none of this was in my notes, but I got to ask you because you're in the field. Um, compliance. Was compliance simply getting the report or the report showing that, hey, you need repairs and you have to get this addressed? And then there's like a follow-up report or something like that? Right. No. So... <clears throat> It, it basically, so you, you, you don't want to, of course, have any type of failure of a balcony because balconies are typically second, third, fourth floor in a building. And if there's an issue where that, that balcony actually collapses and you're going to have someone get injured or killed, unfortunately. Yeah. And so um, the law is, is to look at the statistical probability. You need to be 90% sure that all the balconies are um, uh, properly addressed and because that gives you a sense of a good security that the, the balconies are are in shape and, and don't need any uh, additional work done to them. And so yeah. the, the first step is that inspection and basically okay. a clean bill of health. And if you get the clean bill of health, then you're done. You basically have the engineer or, or a licensed architect. So it, that's the other thing. It has to be a licensed engineer or licensed, licensed structural engineer to be specific. I'm, I'm a civil engineer, but I have licensed structural engineers that work for me. Mm-hmm. It has to be a licensed structural engineer and a, or a licensed architect. It can't be a contractor. It can't be a, just a civil engineer. And those are the ones that can certify and, and to basically say that, that those balconies are, are safe. Mm-hmm. If they find that some of the balconies do need repair, then certainly if you're a building owner, you want to know that because that's yep. a huge liability for you if something does occur to one of the the people that occupy that space or have friends over on that balcony. So the the, the next step would be that if there are balconies that actually need to be fixed, then the recommendation would be by the engineer or the architect to have those fixed and then plans would be developed and then the work would be done to uh, strengthen those balconies to ensure that they'll be safe for many years to come. Yeah, and the reason I'm asking because there was a a couple of questions that uh, I was digging into as I was asking, also asking other um, engineering firms, especially those that were on the floor. And most of the time they would get stumped when I would ask them, well, who's enforcing this? Is, is it going to be, uh, for example, Los Angeles has a Department of Building and Safety. They have, depending on where you are, if you're in a rent stabilization ordinance zone, you have the housing uh, department and the housing community development and all that. Because no one seems to know um, who's going to, who we're answering to. So, it's once we get yeah. these reports, who are we actually turning them over to? Well, so um, my understanding is that it will be the state of California and it, since it is their uh, law that they've passed. And mm-hmm. and it's basically paperwork like the engineer does the report, certifies that the balconies and then are, are OK or some of them might need repair. But there still needs to be a report prepared by an engineer or architect that goes to the state agency. 
and it's a state agency that then files that information and and they can very easily reach out to any of the uh, buildings that have balconies i'm sure they have an entire list of all of them in the state of california and if if these some of these hoas or or locations apartment buildings haven't complied yet it's going to be very easy for the state to send out letters to all of them saying that it looks like you've missed the deadline um and i'm sure that so you you can see that the state of california could probably very easily enforce this rule because it's either you're complying or you're not and the compliance yeah. means you're preparing that report and sending it to them yeah gotcha so that was one question the other question was um it almost seems like is it we're paying for two reports or it's better to get someone out there to inspect it before getting said report to say hey can you check if uh, we need repairs on these things that's an excellent question and what we've been finding is that contractors are going out and, and convincing homeowners associations to do the work saying that that's in compliance and then the homeowners association realizes that that's kind of the cart before the horse like the basically the horse is the engineer or architect coming and doing the inspection because it could very well be that every balcony on your building is fine so if every balcony is fine you don't have to do anything further other than file that report with the state if it's not fine, let's say five of the hundred balconies on your building are not fine, then then you move forward with plans for fixing those five balconies versus all 100 balconies. So it, as a HOA, a homeowners association or an apartment building owner, it makes way more sense to go the design engineer route than it is to start with the contractor because people mm -hmm. need to know, and you know this as a property owner, construction is 10 times the cost of design. So it's much more cost effective to have people do design and analysis than it is to actually go and build something. And so the owners need to realize that the first step really is to go to the engineers or the architects first, see what's required, have them develop plans if necessary, and then go out to bid. And don't just go to one contractor, go to three contractors with the plans and get the best price possible so you can you know, make sure you get value for your for your limited resource, which is money in this case. Yeah, it's a, a, a scenario which is probably most likely. So this is what it might look like then. And correct me if I'm wrong. Um, say, hey, um, engineer, is you out here? I have balconies. Check how they are. They prepare a report. Report says, hey, X Y Z needs some repairs. And then, as you said, the whole process to you know draft plans, engineering, contract, and all that to to get that repaired. Then once all that's said and done. Hey, engineer, I got the work done. Can you get back here and do another report to see if I'm in compliance or not, if everything's all right? Is that more or less how it would look like? Yes. You're basically paying for two reports because that's that's exactly what it is. Um, there is no other way about it. It's not like I pulled a permit, so now I come finalize it. That, that's not how a scenario might be. It's more like uh, you, if you're not in compliance, expect to pay for two reports. Well, and so... I mean, obviously we want everyone to stay in compliance and, you know, some of the laws that they pass in the state of California are excellent laws. And I, I feel that this is one that is an important law because the, the safety concerns of a collapse or failure of a balcony that's elevated two, three, four stories above the ground is a very dangerous scenario. And unfortunately, 
We've got the weather, you know, of course, we're near the coast, many of these properties. So you've got that sort of uh, issue. Uh, you've got termites and all the things that degradate the, the, the structural capacity of a balcony. So I, the hope is, is that you're only doing one report and that one report gives your building a clean, your balconies a clean bill of health. The second report, if you will, would be more the recommended repairs, which I, I would call construction plans uh, versus mm -hmm. a, just a report or letter. So the first one's kind of a letter that, that, that reviews, looks at the waterproofing and the structural integrity. The second one is actual construction documents on what to do to fix the balconies that need to be fixed, not all the balconies. And so my point is that instead of hiring a contractor directly, and having them fix everything, why not just fix the things that need to be fixed? And so that's why you'd want to hire the engineer or architect first. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. And for people who may not be aware, I don't remember if this, uh, this Senate bill was in response to what happened. I believe it was in Miami, where overnight, just like half a building just collapsed on itself. I, yeah, I don't think it was from that, but that was obviously a tragedy in Miami. I, I think it was it stemmed from the what happened at, up at UC Berkeley. There was a, a collapse and, and I think a few students actually got killed. Um, so uh, that, that's what my understanding is. But um, there, there have been collapses and, and certainly to the point where they had to pass this law to, to kind of open building owners' eyes. Because if you, you own a building, you have a lot of responsibility as a building owner. And yeah. um, there's going to be things you can't, you can't think of all the scenarios as a building owner, just because you deal with so many issues that the tenants have to, you know, they call you on, whether it's plumbing or electricity or ADA compliance or whatever it is. I mean, building owners have a tremendous amount of pressure on them. And so uh, a balcony is not necessarily something that you would think of. Like if you're not a yeah. structural engineer or an architect, you're not necessarily thinking about balconies failing right off the side of a building. And yeah. and so it's it's a critical it's a critical uh, a bill that they passed and so yeah and I and I I do agree with it I just wasn't entirely sure um, how all that was going about because I was getting questions uh, from from my clients like I don't I asked the same questions I don't think I got a clear answer but I think this uh, actually clarifies a lot of things and also shows that you know what you do in your field. So this would actually make a very good educational clip when I'm, I'll probably segment this out. It's like, Hey, you guys got to tune into this with respect to SP, whatever, because people are asking me about it um, on my socials as well. So that kind of segues though, like the, the reaction of like, I didn't know um, that there was, or at least I forgot about this law. It didn't affect me directly. So at first I'm like, well, I didn't know, but I might know people that does. And sure enough, when I spread the word after the trade show, it's like, oh, snap, I got to get on the phone with some engineers. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, see, it makes people jump into action. So that brings us in a way over to the county board of supervisors, because when we think about uh, who affects us, um, what rules and laws and regulations um, are passed or considered and all that, we think of more of the city council. We don't think so much about the county as a whole. It's like, what's the county? Whatever. It's like, yeah, but you live within the county. Um before anything else, because this is the area of what you're you're trying to get into here as you're running, um, what exactly is the role of the county of board of supervisors? Well, I think uh, before COVID nineteen was among us, I think many of us didn't even really have to think about the county board of supervisors. Um, but once that occurred, we started to see that 
they were in control of our health departments and they were able to do many things that uh, changed the way we live. And, you know, they closed our beaches and trails. They um, uh, mandated eviction moratoriums and, and so that people that couldn't pay their bills, uh, they were allowed to stay in their rental properties. Um, so you, you'd start to see that the county government has quite a bit of control over all of our lives. And I love to ask people when I'm out and about uh, how big the county gov government is. And people are shocked when I tell them that the current budget for this coming year is $47 billion. And there's 115,000 employees that work for Los Angeles County. Um, you, you do the math on that. And, and like you said, most people think of their city councils when it comes to you know, the rules and regulations that affect them the most. And that's probably true. But if you look at the amount of tax dollar per person in LA County, it's it's much more than most cities pay or, or bring in in terms of their revenues per person. And so the budget is huge and there's many, many departments. So they're in, they uh, oversee our prisons, our juvenile detention, our beaches, our waterways. Um, they oversee many of the parks, roads, bridges, um, a health department that uh, there's, uh, that's one of the bigger departments in LA County. Of course, there's a public works department. And so you start to think about all that. And so there's 88 cities in Los Angeles County. Um, and uh, there's many locations that are called unincorporated areas. Yeah. And so even though each one of those 88 cities that are already incorporated and they have their own governments, like you mentioned, the unincorporated areas don't have their own government. So for instance, in the fourth district where I'm working to win a seat there, that has many areas and I would be considered the mayor of those areas. I would act as the mayor or representative of those areas of unincorporated parts of Los Angeles County. And, you know, just an example of that, like the city of Avalon is an incorporated city, but the rest of Catalina Island is an unincorporated area. So that that's part of the fourth district. So in the fourth district that I'm working to be representative of, is 32 cities. It's uh, the southeast part of Los Angeles County. Like mentioned, there's five uh, supervisors. So you start up on the north in Whittier, and basically you have the Orange County border, and you have the 710 freeway. So you have many cities coming down, like uh, cities like Bell Garden and Bell, Whittier, uh, Cerritos, Downey, Norwalk, Bellflower, all the way down to the port of Long Beach. So the city of Long Beach is the biggest city uh, there other than parts of Los Angeles and you come across to the port of Los Angeles including San Pedro, Wilmington and then over to where I live in the Rancho Palos Verdes area in the Palos Verdes Peninsula and then Torrance. So 32 very unique cities that all have their own city governments and and but also rely quite a bit on uh, LA County for many of the services that we get. Yeah well that, that's a very interesting cut that they did there. Because if I understand it, uh, these districts were re redrawn about three years ago, I think. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fascinating. Um, and you did mention it at, at the get-go there that it wasn't until 2020 and the whole COVID lockdowns that people were not aware. The County Board of Supervisors, in, in my case, um, it, I was aware of them a little sooner because of having to deal with them directly, but um, they ended up imposing their own rent control ordinance there um, outside of Los Angeles. And that then they're affected when they started putting down um, just cause evictions, eviction moratoriums and all this. Um, and Barbara, what's her face, the one that's in the Department of Health that 
is not a doctor and has nothing to do with health. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, she was with Gavin Newsom at that French laundry. So I have to look back on that. She might have been present there, but we couldn't. It, it seems like it would have been obvious, right? Because we all would just remember that photo of him there and with those people sitting around the expensive wine and food. And she does have pretty well-known white hair that we, we've seen many times. So I don't remember that, but I'd have to go back and look myself. That's funny. Yeah, because I do remember certain Department of Health heads that were there. I'm like, that's fascinating. What an awkward place to be caught at dining. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> uh, it, it was one of those Hunger Game moments where it's uh, if anybody has seen it, you have the elites up there and then us, the peasants over here. Well, Andres, um, remember this. I, I, so when I was mayor of Rancho Palos Verdes, in our city, we rotate the mayorship. And I was okay. mayor in 2020. So in March of 2020, I actually contracted COVID. And I was one of the first elected officials in the country to get COVID. Oh, wow. Um, and I got COVID at Trump National of all places. So, mm. you know, that caught national attention. And so I was on many of the news, the nightly news. That's that why point. your name looks familiar. Yeah, I, right? I do remember this. <laughs> so my but my warning was back then that, you know, even though I had it, and I had it for three days of just the worst headache ever. Um, I my hope was that our governments, including our county government, wouldn't overreact. Because you, you probably remember back in that time, they were starting to label businesses essential versus non-essential. And my point was, every single business is essential because it's essential to all of us to, to be able to have our, our, you know, our jobs and, and be able to raise money to live. And so how can yeah. something be considered non-essential? So my hope was that the government wouldn't overreact. And we all know what happened after that. And L.A. County was probably the one to overreact the most, certainly yeah. with the homeowners or the apartment owners like yourself, where they've tried to solve many of their problems on the backs of mom and pop apartment owners. And um, it, it's, it was, a, it's ridiculous what happened. And that's one of the reasons that I'm running for office for this position, because the current board of supervisors are, have done things like this with no concern at all for people's life savings um, the number of businesses that were destroyed by their their uh, actions that were not warranted. And so um, when I saw, met you with the Apartment Owners of Association, I was invited to have a booth there. And I just the 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 frustration by people that I met was just palpable. Um, and so it's important that we start to look at who our elected officials are because they do affect our lives so much. And we can't just keep voting for the same people over and over and over again and expect there to be different results. There won't be. Correct. Yeah. And one of the uh, big issues that have been affecting um, certain properties of, um, that I manage, and I know everybody's been touched by this, has been homelessness. And this is one of the, the things that, that you have there. Uh, unless uh, Xi Jinping is going to visit San Francisco, the Democrats will address homelessness. And yeah, for, for a couple of days while he's there, and then what? Where, where do they shovel him off to? Are they going to put big curtains in front of him? I don't get it. Yeah, I saw the social media feeds on that because there, um, there was a clip going around. It was It's getting a lot of traction in national news because Gavin Newsom admitted it. Said, yeah, we cleared them because Xi Jinping's going to be here. But he said it in such an awkward way. It's, so it's a 17-second clip, and it's worth watching. Cause like, you, you kind of jumbled your words there, didn't you? That like You got caught on this. Um, but some people in the, the comments were actually 
it was hilarious because like, yeah, but where'd you put them on the underpass of the 10 freeway? Because over the weekend, there were a ton of fires into <laughs> the 10 freeway. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, well, that's true, but it's too far for San Francisco. Yeah. But, but for people that don't know, Los Angeles um, and the homelessness statistics, depending on what you look at, they're either broken down as the city of Los Angeles or LA County, but right. just even taking LA County as a whole, it's the homeless capital of the nation. Yes. Inexplicably. It's insane. And includes homeless that are from out of state for some reason. Mm-hmm. How would you address this continuously growing problem? Yeah. Well, it, it is continually growing. I, I look back at uh, my my opponent, Janice Hahn, and she had talked about homelessness back in 2016 when she was first running for county supervisor. And she said, and at that time, there were, I think they said there were 40,000 homeless at that point. And now, you know, it's ballooned to at least 80 or 90,000. Who, who knows? Because the counts are never accurate. And she was saying that this is a problem that I'm going to address. And I'm going to be her. Her solution was that she was going to retrain our veterans so that they, they didn't live on the street. And honestly, that could be a great solution. But she mm-hmm. never did that. I, I do see that she has bought um, using taxpayer dollars hotels or motels that are profitable and are bringing in tax dollars to the city of LA and the county of LA and shut those down and provided free homes to the veterans. And honestly, I love our veterans, but I think when you just give someone a free home and you don't expect anything back, then all you're doing is enabling uh, people being freeloaders, honestly. So what would I do? So there isn't one solution, Andres, of course, you know that. Um, It's a big problem. And as an engineer, we learn when the problem is too big to just solve with one answer, you got to break it into smaller problems. And so the first one is the mentally ill. The mentally ill are a huge part of our homelessness, and they're probably the ones that are the biggest danger to themselves and to us. And so that would be one of my first focuses. And the great thing is, is that these issues are nonpartisan and there's people on both sides of the aisle that agree that we should bring back conservatorships. When you talk to people uh, that are a little older in politics or a little older in life, and they'll say, oh, it was Ronald Reagan's fault that we have homelessness. Well, Ronald Reagan was president back in 1980. And so I don't think you can continually blame Ronald Reagan for homelessness. And then you ask them, well, what did he do that created it? And they'll say, well, he closed the hospitals, the mental, mental institution and hospitals. So, okay, so if that was the solution back then and he stopped them, then why don't you bring them back? And so conservatorships would actually force people that need the proper medical help to be in hospitals, not being medicated out on our streets where it's really unsafe and it doesn't solve the problem. So that's kind of step one to me, the biggest issue. There's another solution right next door in Orange County that I believe we should be doing. The Orange County Rescue Mission, there are 100% 100% privately funded. They only spend about $16,000 per person per year for housing and food. Wow. When you're in that system, you can leave if you want. It's not You're not forced to be there. But if you commit to it, you got to stay there on campus. You can't come and go. That's part of the problem is every time people come and go, when they go, they have all those vices out there, the alcohol, the drugs, and all that, that entice them back into bad behavior at the Orange County Rescue Mission, you have to stay there. You have to do something every day for eight hours while you're getting retrained for some type of job to get you back on your feet. And after a year and a half to two years there, 
they're able to graduate from their program and go off and, and uh, provide for themselves. They have a 98% success rate at the Orange County Rescue Mission. No government funds, all privately funded. Tell me one program in LA County that has a 98% success rate. Yeah. Uh, and something that you mentioned there at the beginning, um, just because this is happening a lot uh, and this is actually affecting one of the, the buildings that uh, are managing. Uh, I was aware of the, uh, the general plan of like months, years ago, about buying either dilapidated buildings or poorly run hotels or whatever, um, and apartment buildings, and just buying and the city buying them up to turn them into either low income or just uh, free housing um, for you know for the homeless. The problem is it doesn't address the root cause. Why are they homeless? And something very telling because uh, you and I both share in uh, us caring about our veterans. It's it's a shame that well we'll thank them for their for their service. And right, go back to the street where you were. It's like, wait, we're not helping them when, when they're not when they're back here after giving so much. And there was a story, and this is this involved the Los Angeles Police Department too, because uh, it was a it's a beautiful moment. It was a homeless on a wheelchair a veteran that was in the, um, on Venice Beach, and one of the police officers was helping to arrange to get him over to the VA. Um, I think they have a housing uh, place for veterans on Wilshire Boulevard. And they were able to do that. Police force showed up and um, you know, were escorting him. And there were cameras there involved, and it, making it a, a beautiful moment. And the, the officer was choked up because, hey, I have a military family. And this, this is a big deal for me. Um, three days later, he was right back where he was because he said, I didn't want to be there. Like, yeah, you could put a roof over someone's head, change the stats. You didn't address the issue. And that's what ultimately, I believe, the homeless problem um, needs to be addressed. Like, like you said, that there's there's more than one solution to this because there's different problems per se. Um, and I think the mental illness one is one that I believe that needs to be more immediately addressed because it can be more immediately addressed than, say, those that are struggling with their other vices, uh, such as uh, um, whatever drugs are on the streets now. And I know fentanyl has been on the news a lot, uh, but um, I, I, I think you're starting off somewhere right instead of, well, let's just put a bandage on it and say we just housed them and we brought the stats lower or what Gavin Newsom did. Just Thanos all the homeless out of there and they'll just be back because whatever. It's, you know, they just reappeared. It, it, and I guess that goes uh, and it segues nicely into the other uh, section, which is that this in a way goes into public safety uh, issues. We've had um, uh, homeless encampment fires. Uh, that uh, affected buildings uh, next to them. Uh, we're kind of joking about it, but there were some fires. At first, it was reported as, as a pallet fire under the 10 freeway over the weekend, but I'm learning more that some of it was encampment fires, which can only mean it was due to maybe cooking drugs or whatever it might be. So the, the county board of supervisors, I believe, uh, wouldn't they be in charge of dealing or addressing um, the Los Angeles County Sheriff? Yes. So um, they oversee the budget for the um, sheriff's department. Uh, of course, the sheriff himself or herself, depending on who gets elected, is elected countywide. Um, so currently it's uh, Sheriff Luna. Robert Luna is in charge of the sheriff's department. Um, but it's certainly the county supervisors oversee the budget and they also oversee the, um, you know, the care and operation of our prisons and our juvenile detention systems, which 
currently, if you've been following that, there's consent decrees, which are basically fix-its. Uh, they're, they're saying that these uh, uh, detention centers and jails are inadequate, uh, inhumane. Um, to me, uh, it's a simple thing. You've got to fix the facilities and we need enough facilities to put all the criminals away. We can't be letting criminals out on the street. Um, of course, we have another situation, Andres, that you're aware of, that we have a current district attorney, George Gascon, who is uh, unwilling to really prosecute criminals and his belief that everyone will be all good as soon as you arrest them and they're all just going to be great back on the street is a fool's errand. And so for me, I'm, I'm for any of the district attorney candidates other than him. Uh, so, but the Board of Supervisors has a lot to do with our criminal justice system and, and they need to be much more supportive in that. And, and you're right, it's a, I was just talking to some uh, restaurant owners here in San Pedro where my office is, and they were saying a, a couple weeks ago, uh, a homeless person with schizophrenia was in their restaurant uh, basically harassing people at their uh, restaurant, at their bar, and screaming at people and scaring customers away. And uh, they they called the police and the police, they don't have enough resources. And um, so they, they didn't send anyone. So this particular restaurant owner had to physically remove this person. And they're not equipped to do that, but they had to do it because of the safety of their employees and their guests. And they physically removed this person uh, from their restaurant. Um, our business owners shouldn't be under this sort of uh, undue pressure. That that's not right. And so, going back to our, our law enforcement, you know, the, these officers they're working uh, overtime shifts, and it's already a stressful enough job at an eight-hour-a-day or a ten-hour-a-day. But if they have to work, you know, double shifts, that that's an undue pressure. You can't you can't work properly without enough sleep and in that sort of stressful environment. And so we're putting our officers in a terrible situation, but the reason we're having trouble recruiting is that there's uh, police departments all over the country that are better places to work. And even if the money isn't the same, at least you know that your elected officials that hire you support you and are gonna put criminals away for their crimes instead of uh, basically letting them back on the street and to commit more crime, you almost probably feel like, what's the point of me doing my job if I do my job, but then you can't get the uh, criminals to actually be behind bars and have some punishment for their bad activity. We got to make crime illegal again. Yeah. And it's, as you mentioned, uh, Gascon and others, and I know some of the County Board of Supervisors um, have done this because in, as a, I guess as a, not a result, but a, uh, a direct reaction to the racial rights of, of, of BLM was to defund the police mm -hmm. and our streets are not any safer. Meanwhile, the same county that was defunding the police uh, and Gascon letting, and not just Gascon, but also Gavin Newsom um, letting inmates out because of, they said it was due to COVID or whatever mm -hmm. onto the streets. They were criminalizing law abiding citizens for not complying with the laws. Like, wait, but aren't those guys in prison because they broke the law? Mm -hmm. But you're going to blame non-essential businesses or in some cases, and if this continues, it will be seeing more of this uh, vigilantism. I hate even using that now, but after what happened over the weekend, I don't know how much you know about this. I'm assuming you might've heard about it um, at a subway. There was uh, it's someone, it, they describe it as mugging 
uh, it, this man was uh, mugging this woman at, at a subway. And this, what the news was calling vigilante, or what I call a hero, who had a gun, fires in the, into the air, I believe two rounds, to get that guy to, or, you know, to scare him away from her, mm-hmm. in which he did. The, the, the hero's arrested. And everybody that's interviewed is like, it's crazy. He put his gun away. It's crazy. He put his gun away. He was being a responsible, um, a caring member of, of you know, practicing your second, second amendment. Exactly. Uh, but, uh, and, and not just that, um, the woman that he saved suddenly said, I just wish he didn't use a gun to help me. He could have done something else. What else could he have done? Wow. And that's where we're at in that. It, this kind of behavior continues like what happened i think is uh daniel what's his face um it's the more controversial one because the uh, uh they said it was a white man choking out uh, a, a black homeless man the homeless man ended up pass- passing away what they don't talk about was the other black man that was helping daniel on the floor but who's the one that gets arrested and they're trying to charge him for murder and all that was daniel no one's going to be stepping in and helping anybody this is the the direct result of what happens when our police institutions are broken down, when everyone is vilified, uh, where law-abiding citizens are being turned into criminals and we're uh, enabling criminal behavior, we're not helping or addressing our homeless, where in some cases it's mental illnesses we talked to. All this almost seems commingled, but it's it all goes together and it's really hard to address the one thing because it all stems from, from one thing, irresponsibility at our leadership level. We don't have yeah. leadership. We don't have people that will own up to it. We don't have people that have a spine to address this. They'll just say, oh, just go with the political flows. Like, oh, this will get me voted. Um, and in some cases, uh, George Soros money, like he put Gascon in there. So that's how we're seeing all, a lot of these players being put in place to dismantle our institutions from within. Well, let, let me add to your, your spot on with that, Andres. Let, let me add to this that people... There's so many good people out there and they're afraid to speak up now because of what you just mentioned. You do the right thing and all of a sudden you get the woke crowd turning against you. But I still believe that most people understand fairness. They understand what's right. And I think most people are just looking for leaders to stand up for them. And the problem is that our current crop of leaders here in California, just they're basically part of one party system. So we've got one party rule. It's been that way for 20 years. And now over the last several years, you've got two, three, 400,000 people per year leaving California because they just had enough. And the only reason other than taking care of a sick relative across on the East Coast or something, the only reason you ever leave California, which is the most beautiful state, beautiful place in the world is because of our leadership and people are leaving. And the people that are leaving are people that create jobs that are business owners, property owners. These are the people we need the most and we should be treating them so much better. And that's what I want to do is bring back fairness to everyone. And we also, you know, we talk about the homeless and we, you and I talked about it, but we forget about the people on the lower uh, part of our income scale, where when you have inflation, you have high gas prices and that's, that is so regressive to them. And it hurts them the most and it puts them in the most jeopardy of becoming homeless. And instead of worrying about always the homeless, let's worry about the people that can become homeless. You know, our elderly people that have they they don't earn an income anymore. They're on a fixed income. And 25 percent of our population are senior citizens. And we're putting all of them at risk with this inflation. And so that's my one of my other core four issues, which is economic Mm -hmm. empowerment. 
nobody's talking about how to end inflation and how to start lowering prices. And that's all I, I, I try to talk about this all the time. In fact, even though I have the four issues that we talked about, I got a question the other day, like, for me, what's more, what, what means the most? And honestly, I feel inflation is one of those things that if we can start to bring that down, it'll start to solve a lot of the other issues because it, it, it puts people in a situation where they become desperate. You know, either they become mm -hmm. homeless and desperate or they can't afford whatever it is and they go out and commit crimes because they're desperate. Uh, yeah, there's just criminals out there. Sure. And those criminals need to be put away. And we're not doing that either. But there's things that our county board of supervisors and our state government can do that can really make our lives better, but they're not doing it. And I'm not sure why. I think many people believe they don't do anything because it keeps us dependent upon them and keeps them in power. They certainly figured out a formula to keep themselves in power. But then you ask yourself, is my life better than it was 10 years ago? And if your answer is yes, you're fooling yourself. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, and I, I didn't have on my notes to talk about the economy, but you are right that uh, it's kind of like the rising tide. It'll it'll address almost a lot of these other issues, especially when people say we have a money problem. So, okay, um, inflation is one of them. Uh, and as you said, our senior citizens, a lot of them are on fixed income. Those that are mom and pops that own property are feeling those effects of, especially in Los Angeles, not having been able, folks, if you're, New to listening to this program, I I have sounded the alarm so many times on rent control, especially as someone that was a realtor. Um, no longer, I, I don't pay the trademark, so I don't use realtor. I'm a real estate broker. But in saying that it's going to destroy uh, the um, the financial viability, uh, it's going to destroy the livelihoods of those that have these these units here and there, they have not been able to raise their rent in four years, which is absolutely insane. If that's not communism, I don't know what is. So that's Los Angeles uh, alone. Uh, and we're supposed to finally be able to do so uh, in February 2024 because um, King Garcetti, some people call him mayor, when he was mayor, he, was a, he ruled as a king, as a dictator. He said, once the emergency order of COVID is lifted at the state level, uh, Los Angeles can then one year later raise the rents. And for those of anybody that know, when there's an RSO, a rate stabilization ordinance, um, they do so on a schedule. So the schedule was originally 7%. That was announced over there at the, at the AOA um, um, conference. And I know Dennis Block, uh, is, and he and I finally met in person, but uh, he, he, uh, um, he was talking, he was pretty confident about that sticking. And I'm like, yeah, but maybe not the percentage in the raising of the rent. And sure enough, it looks like it's being halved. And at this point, if at all, because LA County can take the action. So right now, all eyes are on what the LA County Board of Supervisors will do. So that's why I'm like, your role is considerably more important. The role that you're, you're vying for is considerably more important. And I think if you could... For those that are listening, for if you could sum up why you're running, like we, we talked about all these issues and the, how they affect you, but uh, why do you feel like you would make that difference? Um, what would be your elevator pitch to them? Yeah. Well, going back to the largesse of LA County and the 10 million people and, and being a third generation LA County resident and, and loving Los Angeles County, I 
you know, I have been afforded every opportunity in the world to succeed in my life. And uh, but that's not happening anymore for people. People are leaving L.A. County and it's because of our politicians. Um, things like rent control and eviction moratoriums are 100 percent wrong. I would never vote for those. Um, and maybe I'd be only one vote at first, but I would be very convincing because I would get the people behind me. Um, right now, uh, you have a board of five people. Those five people have never signed the front of a paycheck. They've never lived the experience of a business owner. They don't know what it's like to take risks. They don't know the pressures we're put on. We're job creators. We're people that care about our community and we're people that succeeded in our jobs to the point where we could create companies and create opportunities. And we're the ones that uh, are bringing in the tax dollars and helping our society thrive. So the free market works in America, but it's dead in LA County right now because you have leaders that don't understand it. They have no ability to solve our problems. And they all they worry about is woke ideal, ideological uh, beliefs where they can get their pictures on Twitter with uh, different color flags and, and, and just continue to get votes. And yeah, people don't necessarily know who I am. And they, they of course, know who my opponent is. And, but my two opponents, now that we have uh, Sheriff Alex Villanueva in the race, they know who oh. those people are. And they don't know who I am. But the thing is, I have the spine and the backbone to actually make hard decisions. I tell people when they say, well, why is there no homeless in Rancho Palos Verdes? And I tell people it's because you get what you allow. And we in Rancho Palos Verdes, we don't allow those things. We look after the, our residents. We look after our businesses and our schools. We need people doing that again. We need to use our ears and our mouth proportionally. We have two ears and one mouth. Use them proportionally. Listen to people. At the Board of Supervisors, they only listen to you for one minute, and you're lucky if they're even listening to you. They're looking at their yeah. phones and not even paying attention, and that's so disrespectful. And I'll bring respect back to the county board. The county board was a great organization at one point, but they're no longer that way. And we need to bring that back for the sake of all of us. Well, amen to that. And I did not know that Alex was running. Is he running for the fourth district? He is. He, um, as many people know, there he he did lose his reelection bid um, to become sheriff again. And and during that time period during the election, the board of supervisors pulled a fast one on him and. I always thought this was wrong where they they gave themselves the power to be able to uh, pull or remove a sitting sheriff uh, from their office, even though the sheriff is elected with all five districts and each one of the supervisors is only one district. So but they didn't do that for the district attorney, who I would argue would be someone that would be much better to remove than the sheriff at that point. Uh, so he he did enter the race uh, in September. Um, his his goal is to remove the current supervisor uh, because he's pretty upset about what happened. And I don't necessarily blame him for that. My my only point is that I don't believe that his skill set is anywhere near mine in regards to being a supervisor and overseeing the forty seven billion dollar budget and those sort of things. He has a skill set that's well suited for being a sheriff. Yeah. And I happen to agree with you there. Uh, I can't say I was a fan of Alex until I saw him actually standing up to the county board of supervisors during the draconian lockdowns and all that. It's like, well, you, you grew a spine because ironically it was Democrat versus Democrat. Yeah. And you're right. And I, I, I do believe um, if she wasn't responsible for it, she was at least spearheading it where Janice was 
kind of making it. I, I don't, did the people, did we, well, did Los Angeles give the power to the board of supervisors to remove and elect the sheriff by the very people? Yes. So it was, it was put on the ballot by the supervisors, but because yeah. the county has its own charter or constitution, yeah. it has to go in front of the, the voters and uh, Janice Hahn and others on the board of supervisors convinced the voters to uh, vote for that. And it ended up passing. So that's currently on the books, but that would be something I would work to get off the books. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. That's yes. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's a, Cause um, I don't live, I didn't, live in LA, so I'm not registered to vote there either. Oh, it would have been like, folks, do you realize what they're asking you to do? They're telling you to give up a right and you willingly did it. Exactly. They willingly did it. It was crazy. And we, <sighs> you know, we were hoping that uh, Robert Luna, who was his opponent, would have stood up and fought that. And even in private conversations, we believe he was against it, but he never spoke out against it either. And that was very disappointing. Um, going back to what you said, Andres, we need leaders that have backbone and do the things they say they're going to do and, and not just say things to get elected. And then once they're elected, they just become part of the, the broken system that we have. Yeah. Oh, I think we touched on um, plenty of issues. There were other questions I could have asked you, but uh, I, I like ending on a high note uh, for here. Uh, when is, uh, do, you, do you have to be primaried first or how, how does that work? So yeah, thank you for asking. So it, it, it is a primary first, the, uh, the first uh primary date is March 5th, but in California, we vote 30 days in advance. So everyone starts voting in the first part of February. Uh, with there being three candidates, if not one of the candidates gets 50% plus one, then they do not win. But if they do get over 50%, then they win. And then there is no, you don't have to go to the general. The top two vote getters in the primary move on to the general election. Okay. I believe that I will come in at least second place. I'm, I'm shooting to get 35 to 40% of the vote in March primary so that I can continue on and get more name identification through November. Uh, and then I believe that uh, whoever comes in third in the race will support my candidacy because I don't believe either of my opponents like each other very much. Yeah. Um, and so I could see them supporting me. Of course, in the general election, you're gonna get probably double the amount of votes. You're gonna get a lot of new voters that don't mm -hmm. vote in the, the primary, that vote in the general election. Uh, but it, you know, yeah, you got another eight months process, but that I think yeah. gives me an advantage because I could be on more shows like yours and people can get to know who I am and understand that, you know, the, the right leaders are the people that are willing to listen to them. And, and I have a track record in my city of success. I believe Rancho Palos Verdes can be a model for all of LA County by valuing the taxpayer and valuing our residents and uh, balancing uh, open space with residential and commercial and uh, letting our businesses thrive. In our city, we actually uh, eliminated the home-based business tax. So if you have a home-based business in our city, you don't have to pay any taxes in our city. Mm. Um, we believe that's a model of, of helping people out to get started in their companies. And I believe as a county board of supervisor, I'll be able to convince two more supervisors to go along with some ideas that are really going to help people like eliminating home-based business um, and many other ideas that I have to really help LA County. Yeah. Uh, well, I like a lot of what I heard. Um, unfortunately, as I told you, uh, I don't live in that County. So I, I, well, you're I, giving I, me time on your great show. <laughs> so thank you. This is more than uh, I can ask. 
Well, yeah, and I, I do appreciate making the time to, to come on and, and answer some of these questions and have some of these discussions that uh, I feel are not being had enough uh, no. just because either political revenge, complacency, or, or like what's going on right now with the County Board of Supervisors. But it's also, as you said, you and I agree with you here, that there are more people that are they don't follow this stuff. Um, they're, they're trying to make their day-to-day, looking after their stuff, also not realizing how much others that are just involved in activism are affecting their daily lives and they should be paying more attention to these things they should be more pay attention to what you have to say the ideas and solutions that you're presenting especially if they're going to be actively complaining about nothing ever being done so yeah but you had an opportunity to vote and you didn't so this is my way of telling uh the audience uh i it, it seems to be a lot of voter fatigue out there right now there's a, an election it's almost like a perpetual election it feels because um, there's a primary and some people think that the primary, that's it, right? Say, no, no, there, there probably is something else and they have to, you know, they, they don't understand the whole thing. They just think, I got to vote again. Didn't they just vote for you? It happens with the petitions too. So uh, there's there's still a lot of low information of voting happening out there and I'm trying to educate people more. And I know it's it's exhausting, but these are important. You, the county role is important and I applaud you for um even considering like jumping into this because uh, you know what you're getting into. I don't have to explain that to you. So I do wish you all the best for those that are um, watching and listening. Where can they follow you to be up to date um, and even support you if they like what they hear? Oh, I appreciate that. So people can go to my website, johncrookshank.us. So just my full name, johncrookshank.us, or they can follow me uh, on Twitter at save la county so it's at save la county you can find me on twitter i'm i am on the radio as well uh on uh, 790 kbc sunday mornings at 8 a.m i know it's a little bit early but uh you can listen in it's a half hour show or you can catch those podcasts uh, and many of my videos that talk about my issues at my website and i do ask and thank you andres for mentioning about voter fatigue we we recognize that the biggest party in california is not the democrat or republican party it's the party of apathy and people have uh, basically given up and that's how our politicians want it. They want you to give up so that you can give them power for the rest of their lives. I'm trying to change that in LA County and to do that, I need to get my name out there and my messaging. So if you like what you're hearing on today's show and please share Andres's show with your friends, 10 friends and say, listen to the show. And then sh- that way we can get the word out and, and get enough people to vote in March and I can get in the top two and then become the next county supervisor of the fourth district in November of 2024. So I really appreciate your, your having me on today, Andres. And for those watching and listening, you know the MO. Every link that was mentioned here will be available in the show notes accompany this episode at www.danielsegover.com. John, thank you so very much. I wish you all the best. And who knows, after the primary... We'll probably have you back on. Oh, I'd like that. Thank you, Andres.